1: This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Speakers. Southwestern Speakers is comprised of top producing thought leaders, authors, and experts who deliver dynamic presentations that shift the hearts and minds of audiences worldwide. Our team of experienced agents can guide you to find the right speaker for your annual conferences, meetings, and events, providing outstanding service from start to finish. Southwestern Speakers goes above and beyond to elevate your event and offers additional programs to extend the impact of our speakers' presentation long after they have left the stage. We are excited to share our guest with you today. Mike Weber earned his degree at Cornell University while selling books door-to-door. In 1993, Mike founded Southwestern Consulting's Leadership Institute, with a passion for equipping leaders to excel in today's dynamic world. For the past 20 years, Mike has been motivating and inspiring people from Maine to California and has recently been invited to take his message abroad. He partners with people from all walks of life, helping them get more of what they want by challenging their assumptions, habits, and patterns of thought. A member of the National Speakers Association, as well as the New Hampshire 4,000 Footer Club, Mike has coached Odyssey of the Mind, climbed snow-covered mountains, and driven the chase vehicle for a hot air balloon team. Along the way, he's learned that to succeed and thrive, we must break some of life's unwritten rules. Enjoy this episode.
0: So I am very, very excited today to have Mike Weber on because Mike and I have been friends and colleagues for more than 40 years, and it has been delightful to watch how he has grown, how much he has contributed to the lives of others. And how much he lives his values on a daily basis. So, Mike, you're what the Action Catalyst is is here for. So thank you so much for joining with us today.
2: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
0: Well, you and I have a very similar start in the business world. We both got recruited from an Ivy League school to do a very Ivy League thing, sell books door to door in the summertime. Uh, and I know that's how you got your launch, as I did. But could you share some of the the really significant pivots in your career that enabled you to develop your expertise in teaching leadership and and really fundamentally success principles to so many people.
2: Well, probably like you, the initial impetus for this was deciding what I was going to do during a summer when I was at, at Cornell. Uh, you have to go all the way back to the early 70s. And though most of us don't remember that in the 70s, there were not a lot of jobs available. I had gone back to Illinois where I lived and I was looking for work and I had an opportunity to work uh, putting stock in shelves for $1.60 an hour, uh, which didn't look like it was going to provide enough money for college. And uh, I had a gentleman come to college and say, you know, you can sell books door to door. I was a biology major, a pre-med at the time. And I looked at him and I said, if you can do it, I can do it. So I decided that uh, I would go out and start selling books. I had never done sales before. had no experience in that. And at that point, uh, up to that point, had very little interest into it, in it, but found that not only was I good at it, but I thoroughly enjoyed meeting people. I found that uh, the experience I had working with people was by far more rewarding than working with test tubes. And uh, In some respects, that was uh, the first major pivot in my career. I ended up doing that for about eight years and uh, created a good sales organization, was successful. Uh, And then uh, got into a situation where I met the love of my life and we got married and uh, she wanted to live near Boston. So that was another big pivot and found another job in sales. And that has worked out really well for me. But probably the, the second big pivot point took place sometime in the 90s. At that point, I was doing a lot of what's called professional fundraising and I was working with a lot of young people. And I had a chance to talk with a lot of teenagers and a lot of college students and a lot of uh, educators and came to the recognition that many of these skills that were helping me to be successful were absolutely not being taught in school. Uh, We thought that if we taught math, uh, you would be successful. And don't get me wrong, there's a big push nowadays for STEM, and I I recognize the need for that. But by way of example, when I was at, at Cornell, I had to take two years of calculus and i will tell you since then i have used my calculus twice in my life uh, the first time was when my eldest son took calculus and he needed some help and the second time is when my youngest son took calculus and he needed some help
0: <laughs> yeah
2: and i found that very often the courses that we think of as necessary and incredibly significant in the uh I would say in the education market, while they help you to learn how to think critically, they're just not skills that you use every day. So, you know, what are the skills that we use? We use uh, things like attitude management and communication skills and self-discipline and and how to manage your time. And those are all skills that I had developed while I was selling books and it helped me in my career. So I said to myself simply this, what could I do that would help teach kids some of these skills. And uh, I do have to confess, it was a major jump of faith because I absolutely had no idea what public speaking was about and I had no idea what training was about, Uh, but I decided to read and I decided to talk to people and ask questions and uh, sort of learn by stumbling around. And then uh, 25 years later, I had developed a very, very good program that initially started with kids and then I ended up taking it to uh, corporations and uh, teaching and training and some of what I learned I just learned by example and I, I learned by experience for example one of the, the lessons that I learned that's I think significant is that there is a, a huge difference between teaching and training. Teaching is for the most part transference of knowledge. It's Taking someone and saying, I'm going to teach you about history, or now I'm going to teach you the five steps of communication. Uh, There's nothing wrong with that. And it's very significant. We all do that. But training, the goal is change of behavior. And almost all training, to some degree, entails uh, experiential uh, learning, getting someone into a situation where they actually try it and fail, try it and succeed, figure out how to move forward. Uh, with the behavioral change as opposed to just learning how to think about it. And uh, for me, that was incredibly significant. I I learned how to play games with kids. I learned how to play games with adults. Uh, One of my favorite ones is I used to teach juggling. And someone once said, why do you teach juggling? Because juggling, without a doubt, is one of the most significant metaphors for leadership. I mean, think about this. Have you ever seen a really good juggler? Mm -hmm. Almost always, the very first thing that comes to your mind is, wow, that's amazing. And then the second thing that comes to most people's mind is this, but there's no way I could do that. Now, think about someone that you know, someone maybe at church or someone in business or maybe someone in a nonprofit that you've met, and you think to yourself, they are an incredible leader. Almost always, the first thing you think about is, wow. And then the second thing that we think about is this, but there's no way I could do that. So the parallels are are just amazing. And what I would do is, uh, as I learned to juggle, is I would teach other people how to juggle and break it down into simple steps. And in many respects, that's what we do in training. We take Uh, complex ideas and try and break them down into manageable steps. And in so doing, uh, what we do is we help people change how they act and how they think. So those were probably the the two, I would say, big turning points for me.
0: Right. And having been one of your clients and watching how you convey these principles to people, I know it's absolutely on target. In fact, I'm going to ask you to um, answer a softball question. Mike, if somebody says, how can I become better at public speaking? What's the answer? Well,
2: uh, that's a real tough one. I always say this, then you speak publicly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming, but I never get over it. It's, uh, it's so right. It's not well, a matter of practice and do it.
2: Well, it, it's also learning. Um, well, public speaking is a, is a skill set like anything else. And in one sense, the easiest way to think about it is playing an instrument. If you're playing an instrument, my son uh, played the violin and the viola and the double bass. And when you start, it sounds horrendous. Mm -hmm. I mean, you might as well just get cats screeching. But if you work at it and you practice it, you learn where to put your fingers on the frets. You learn uh, how to bow. And in a similar fashion with speaking, you learn the tools that you have. Uh, You have timing. Probably one of the most uh, neglected tools is the pause uh, adding <laughs> emphasis uh, you've got volume you've got speed I mean all these things and the hard reality is is I could sit here Dan with you and give you all this con uh, this uh, cognitive information and then it would resonate with you but when you got there and you started speaking all of a sudden you would recognize ooh, that didn't work
1: hmm. or
2: oh you know what, if I had done something a little bit different, but anyway, that's the learning process that you go through, uh, and that's why it's so essential to get out there. I had a, a friend of mine that said, before you become a great public speaker, you need to give a thousand free speeches. Now, mind you, I couldn't afford to give quite that many, but I did give quite a few before uh, I started getting paid.
0: Oh, that's amazing. Well, I know a mutual mentor, an example that we both know, more dutly. He gave more than a thousand unpaid speeches before he earned his first nickel from it, and of course went on to become one of the great speakers of all time. Sure. So, getting started now, Mike how do you how do you keep your edge? You know, you arguably could rest on your laurels, chill. I know you love to be on hiking vacations. You and Jane both do very many athletic pursuits, but you're always striving, always growing. How do you uh, how do you keep your edge and not get complacent?
2: That's a great question. And uh, to sort of put things in perspective, it's important for people to understand that I am in semi-retirement. Um, what I mean by that mostly is that I'm not working as much as I did in the arena that I was working. Uh, it doesn't mean that I'm not working. In fact, it's been fascinating to me. Uh, retirement has totally changed from the days when my dad retired. Uh, My dad worked with the same company for 45 years. He uh, was an engineer. uh, And when he retired, what he did is he built a house and he sat. Mm -hmm. So he said, that's what I'm supposed to do. We retire and then we sit. Well, retirement nowadays is much different. It is essentially changing what you do. So how do I stay sharp? Well, I read a lot. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of things. Uh, I'm an elder at my church. Uh, One of the real challenges that my pastor just gave me that's taking up a lot of time right now is right up my alley. We're trying to build a, a robust small group structure in our church. And what I found is that the issues of a small group in a church environment is no different than the issues that teamwork has in the corporate environment. People don't talk with each other. Uh, They don't know how to communicate. They don't know what the definition of what they're supposed to be doing. They have no vision. They have no goals. And when I was working in the corporate arena doing team training and stuff like that, these are all the same issues that I had to deal with. So what keeps me sharp is a continuation of doing what I've been doing all along. I may do it in a different direction. But I'm doing basically the same stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. But you you never stop learning. I know that about you. You're constantly asking questions of people, learning from them, and keeping moving. And you have a service attitude. Your involvement with your church, with your different charitable pursuits that you're involved in, I think all those things are are good lessons for all of us. So thank you for that, um, Mike. It'd be easy for somebody to look at the success you've had in several different arenas and say, "Man, this guy just had smooth sailing." Uh, I know that's not true, but. Have you, how do you handle it when you're just moving right along and all of a sudden, bam, you hit that brick wall, well, not even a brick wall. It's impervious to anything. You can't see around it, over it, under it. It just completely knocks you down. What What have been some effective strategies when when you hit that shock point?
2: I guess the easiest thing to sort of understand is to look at some examples of when it happened. Um, there's really two things that I think old people Uh, together when things get tough. Uh, The first one is a defined, focused, and meaningful purpose. Uh, Purpose drives everything. Uh, When I started working in the corporate arena and I would sit down with a CEO, um, I would say, why do you even have me in? Because unless a purpose is clear, unless it's compelling, unless it's something that you absolutely want to have happen then probably what happens is when things get tough, you get sidelined. You you don't bother to go on. The stronger the purpose, the greater the energy energy that you're going to have to get through things. Um, Two examples. When I first started selling books, my dad pointed out to me that I was actually rather foolish to do that. In fact, dad, being an engineer, decided he was going to call the president of the company Spencer Hayes actually got him on the phone and and reamed him out because he said, how could you take my son on such a foolhardy uh, trip? (laughs) Uh, When I found that out, my purpose for that summer was incredibly strong. There was absolutely no way I was going to go home and have my dad proved right. Now, I'm not saying that that's a great purpose, but it was a strong purpose. Mm -hmm. I can guarantee that. And consequently, you know, when things got tough and you know what it's like sometimes when you're selling books door to door, it gets frustrating, it gets hot. It didn't bother me in the least because I knew I wasn't going anywhere. I knew what I was there to do. Uh, The second one occurred when I decided to take on a public speaking uh, career. And again, having done all the research and talked to all kinds of kids and and talked to um, faculty member, I had a real sense that it was very significant for me and for, or for our culture and our community, for kids to learn these things. It was it was necessary. So what was the barrier that I hit? Well, I went from a very, very healthy sales income to an income uh, of less than $15,000 a year and having two kids in school and a mortgage and a car payment and telling my wife, I don't know how we're going to pay taxes this year, but this is so important. We're going to do it. And, and it worked out. We we still joke about it. There was the very first year. We don't know how we pay taxes, but we know that God provided and, and the taxes got paid and you can laugh at that, but that's really true. We don't know where the money came from. <laughs> it just, it was done. Um, so purpose is significant because it provides energy, but in and of itself, it's not going to make you successful. The second thing that I've always latched on to is what I would call um, routine or discipline. Knowing what you need to do to be successful. Uh, with book selling, Southwestern was right on target. They say, see this certain number of people a day and you'll be successful. Uh, when I was doing fundraising, it was see this number of people, you're being successful. So one of the very first things I did. As I recognized when I went out on my own that I needed to know what it took to be successful. I needed to know my metrics and I needed to know what I needed to do every day. And that discipline, that structure is what carried me through when things were tough. You know, I knew that I would need to get up the next day and I would need to go out and do things. Um, I went through ups and downs. I had One of my favorite experiences, I had a professor at a college when I started working with colleges say, there's no way that uh, you will ever be hired by colleges because you only have uh, a bachelor's and not a PhD. And then five years later, I was probably one of the preferred providers for leadership training in New England for colleges. How did that happen? I kept calling on people. And my favorite story, I went up to Plymouth State and a guy named Jim McLaughlin was the very first college uh, administrator to hire me. hire me, And I asked him three years later, I said, Jim, why did you hire me? He said, because you showed up. Hmm. I said, what do you mean? He said, almost everybody that does training like you sends me brochures. Nobody has taken the time to stop in and meet me. And that's what you did. So for me, purpose and then structure and discipline uh, those are the two things that carried me through most of the the hard times.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely fantastic because when the going gets tough, it's easy to forget the purpose and to just sit around, but you realize the importance of motion and keeping moving, keeping your calls, keeping your stats. Ultimately, the drive desert will end.
2: And, and to be honest, Dan, I, I think it's the same. I mean, it's not just about sales. Uh, it's really about anything, any any type of job. If you're the CEO... I think there probably needs to be a huge overwhelming purpose, but there also needs to be structure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you wake up every morning and, and wonder, what am I going to do today? And and before long, it's 11 o'clock and you haven't done
0: anything. Mm-hmm. Or you get into totally reactive mode instead of moving anything forward. So that can definitely happen. Well, speaking of mornings, Mike, do you, do you have a morning routine that gets your engine going, gets you moving? Is it a habit pattern? Can you share some of that?
2: sure and i i gotta confess and say that there's ups and downs um and part of the reason for that is i seem to travel we just got back from kenya uh, a couple of weeks ago and i totally lost it when i was in kenya yeah there, there's an eight hour difference i was waking up at like four in the morning and you know i said i have to go to bed and sleep and then by seven o'clock at night you know it was unconscious time and so anyway there's always disruptions uh, But I would say there's three basic things that I do that I think are significant. Uh, First of all, um, I get up at the same time every day. That may not seem like much, but experience has shown to me that that structure is significant for me. Uh, Interestingly enough, if you talk to people that study sleep, they will also say that's the most, uh, one of the more important things to do if you want to regulate your sleep and make sure that you get enough sleep. The second thing I do is I always make sure that in the morning I do stretching. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was 25, stretching was not significant. I'm not 25 anymore. Um, and I want to try and stay healthy as long as I can. Um, I do a lot of hiking. I'll be hiking this week. Uh, people laugh at me, but I do winter hiking. Um, this week, I'll be in about 10 degree. And I think we have about a 30 mile an hour wind up on a mountain in New Hampshire. Uh, and it'll be perfect. It'll be great. I love it. You know, as long as you when someone once told me there's no such thing as bad weather, it's just bad gear and bad attitude. So uh, we try and adopt that when we go hiking. But the bottom line is I need to stretch every morning. And and some of that stretching is, is um, uh, toning of muscles. But most of it is just you got to get out there and stretch your muscles, especially as we get older. Um, and then the third thing is that Uh, I really try and have a concerted reading time. Um, I usually break that into a couple of things. Uh, My wife and I read scripture together. Right now, we're going through Psalms and talk about it. Uh, We pray together. Though That's very significant to me. Uh, And then on a regular basis, I try and read uh, books that have to do with whatever the, the project that I'm working on. When I was doing speaking, I did an incredible amount of reading on what it takes to be a good speaker, what it takes to work and do training. Um, Right now, I'm doing a lot of work on teamwork and a lot of work on small group analysis. Um, Basically, the way I look at it, Dan, is that um, I want to put as much stuff in my head as I can. Uh, There's a lot of research right now about what's called design thinking and uh, how to become creative. And essentially, one of my favorite authors that for the life of me, I can't remember his name right now, but I can find it for you, talked about you want to put a series of diverse and varied uh, images and uh, thoughts into your brain. And then what ends up happening is your brain starts creating connections. And those connection, connections are where your new thoughts and your new ideas come up with, come up from. So what I'm constantly trying to do is just put more things into my head. Uh, Some of them totally different. What I'm trying to do by putting diverse things into my head is create um, ideas that are different um, by connecting sort of non-connectable things, things that you might not think of as connecting. Uh, What they often do is, it's it's sort of like the idea of why did I start juggling? Uh, I started juggling to have fun and then I found it's it's something that relates to leadership. Um, Those are all uh, um, type of things that I try and read now. Um, I still do reading on things like um, climbing mountains and uh, I'm trying to constantly try and improve my hiking skills. Uh, I just became, um, I guess, certified to lead hikes for the Appalachian mountain club. Uh, That took, that was a course that I had to take. I just took wilderness first aid. So what I'm doing is constantly putting these things in the wilderness. First aid is incredible because it taught me how to teach uh, leadership Ah, uh, because they do it in a different way, but some of the principles are are very similar. So, where am I what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to sharpen uh, my skill, sharpen uh, what I think and how I think and what I do.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's awesome. Uh, Mike, for more than forty years, one of the words that I would apply to you is encourager. you You have totally encouraged tens of thousands of people. You've been encouragement to me uh, personally and professionally. And we have some listeners right now that badly need encouragement. Um, as we're recording this, the stock market has fallen 13% in the last five days. And there's many people that are really bummed out about that. But there's other people more deeply bummed out. They are out of aces. They look at their hand and they don't even know what to do. How would you encourage somebody that feels as though they they have no resources, they don't know what to do next?
2: Well, this is going to sound silly, but if um, I wanted to talk to someone about the stock market, uh, I'd have them go watch It's a Wonderful Life. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is there's a great quote when uh, Jimmy Stewart, uh, the, I don't remember the name of the guy that is buying up the town. Potter. But, uh, what's his name?
0: Mr. Potter.
2: Mr. Potter is, is buying things and Jimmy Stewart's in the building and, and home and uh, everyone's trying to get their money and he says, you don't understand. Potter's not selling, he's buying. So uh, I thought about it this morning and I said, you know, what a great opportunity. We need <laughs> to go down about another 20%, and then I'm buying. And, uh, you know, it's all on how you look at it. The other thing that I would do for the stock market is take your computer and look at the Dow Jones over the last five to 10 years, and you'll see some ups and downs. But the reality is, it's going to go back up. Um, it just, you have to have patience. As far as other things, um, I guess I I would have to say two things, Dan. Um, The first thing is you have to know who you are and what's important to you. And if who you are and what's important to you is tied to what you have, then you're probably going to go up and down and experience some real real challenges. But if who you are and what you, you know, what you do and what you have is tied, in my case, I, I happen to be a Christian and it's, it's tied to my faith. Um, if it's tied to something bigger than yourself, then the ups and downs tend to mellow out a little bit more. Um, some of it goes back to what I said, uh, purpose is significant. If you have purpose and you have found a purpose that's significant enough to you, then the bumps and ups and downs don't seem as big because the purpose is big enough. Uh, If, on the other hand, you wake up every morning and you say, oh, my goodness, it's all about me. Then it gets pretty small. And, you know, if it's all about you. Your problems become huge because. Problems are huge, you know, uh, I broke my foot or, you know, I can't breathe or, or whatever. Um, I tend to like to read stories and and watch movies about people that do incredibly difficult things. And as they do incredibly difficult things, almost always, it's because it's because they have something bigger that they're working for, Uh, whether it's saving humanity or rescuing someone on the battlefield or, even sports in general, uh, when they say it's, it's not about me, but it's about the team or it's about the success of the group, then what ends up happening is their problems tend to decrease in size.
0: Yeah, that is really, really sound, wonderful advice. In fact, we all sat around and watched It's a Wonderful Life over Christmas. It's uh, it's such an important movie. I recommended it to a person who was really struggling not too long ago. So. Mike, I can't believe how quickly time with you goes. It always does. Um, Thank you so much for being with us today, for sharing, for offering, and continuing to grow as a a great human being. I'm just delighted that you could be here.
2: Thank you for having me. And hopefully it's uh, been helpful for some people. And uh, now go out and have a great day.
0: We'll do it. You do the same.
1: If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that The Action Catalyst is up to, Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.